there's a bunch of things with that, but, but just the knowledge will increase. I think it's because, and by the way, that doesn't mean just, depending on which side you're looking at, it doesn't just mean world knowledge, it doesn't, it doesn't mean science knowledge, it doesn't mean theological knowledge, it means all of it together. Um, all knowledge will increase. That's why, specifically, if you're like under 30, it's difficult for you to process this the same way that I would at 50 and the uh, same way my dad would at 75. Things are moving so much quicker nowadays. The, the stuff that, that are happening in a year. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking about this the other day because I was reading some stuff that, that um, like um, 70, 80% of all automobile technological advancements have all come from Mercedes. Did you guys know that? Like Mercedes owns everything uh, when it comes to the next thing that happens. But for years, it was, you know, it was the, the car. And then, then somebody came up with an idea of putting a pan in the window with a piece of ice in it, and that was your air conditioning. That was, that was a technological advance over about 10 years. You, you guys don't know. Anybody, anybody old enough to know what I'm talking about? You put a little thing in your window, roll your window up to just at the, and you'd set a piece of ice on the outside in it, and it, the air would blow through it, and that would bring cool air into the car. I'm serious. You guys don't know this? I didn't ever see it in person. I, my grandfather told me about it, and then I've seen it online. And then an automatic transmission, right? Wow. That thing is shifting by itself. It's like aliens have taken over our cars. You know. Now, then, then every single year, you're expecting 20 or 30 upgrade changes, all kinds of stuff. Um, and that's just one area. You can just, you know, cell phones. Do you realize for you younger guys, cell phones is a new thing? Okay, cell phones came around since I've been an adult. Right? They didn't exist. Yeah, well, we had that big bag phone in Texas. But, you know. <clears throat> we had it. We never turned it on. Couldn't afford it, but a guy gave us a big bag phone. I still have it. I still have the bag phone. But we never turned it on because it was like 70 cents a minute or something. Um, but either way, so, so, so the reason I'm saying that is because in the last days, knowledge increases. But, there, but really what's happening is it's not just that knowledge increases. Take one step back and don't just look at it technologically. Look at it in the whole scope of everything. It's because everything is moving quicker. Everything is moving quicker. Um, it's, it's funneling in. The way I've always looked at it is like an hourglass. That the sand on top, you don't really see it moving, but when you get to the, to the closer to the thing, when it starts moving, and then boom, you're down through there. Somebody told me, maybe it's somebody here, I don't remember, but somebody told me just recently the example that somebody used for them that's always stuck with them is a toilet bowl. When it's swirling, 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 the more quicker it gets, the faster it goes, and boom, it's gone. And that's where we are in the last days where everything is starting to move quicker. It's starting to progress and move faster. And that's why technology is increasing faster. Everything is increasing. Evil is increasing faster. That's why, um, um, you know, we've, we've been processing all of this stuff. And again, if you're younger, this is not, you don't see it as powerfully. But, but as you're older, you recognize our, our world, our, our, our society, our, our American culture is changing very quickly. It is, we are, we are changing quickly. Um, the idea, <clears throat> the idea that's been around for a long time that, 
you know, when, when one political party takes over, another political party takes over, whatever, the world doesn't change, the America doesn't change that much, but, um, you know, there's less taxes, more taxes, stuff like that. That might have been true 80 years ago. That is not true today. Um, if we get the left, uh, Biden and Harris, the Harris-Biden presidential ticket, if we get, <laughs> if we get, by the way, uh, everybody on the left is making that out to be like she made a mistake when she said that. Yeah. She did not make a mistake. I believe it was actually written on the teleprompter for her to say it that way because that is the ticket. It is Harris-Biden. It is not Biden-Harris. But you guys understand that they are, in fact, today the Catholic Church came out, a particular uh, nun, a very famous nun came out today with a, a, a whole video statement talking about how that the Biden-Harris ticket is the worst, strongest pro-abortion ticket ever in the history of America to the point where human life means nothing to these people. Absolutely nothing. Now, guys, this isn't just a... This isn't just a fringe little part of the Democrat Party, okay? This is something that, that, that conservatives better get in their head. This is the Democrat Party. This is their president and vice presidential nominee. That means it is the very center of their party. And, and, the, and the idea of, of abortion uh, up to the time of, of birth and... Um, even post-birth abortion. I don't even know how you use those terms. That is the stupidest terminology. Post-birth abortion? That includes every one of us in this room. You are all post-birth. But this is, this is no longer just whether we believe in taxes or not taxes. Guys, this is evil uh, versus good. This is dark versus light. Now, I am in no way whatsoever claiming the Republican Party is um, all clean, good Christian people with a good, strong morality. There's no way possible. In fact, until Trump took the office, we were still trying to decide whether we were going to really stand against abortion or not. All the guys before, pay attention to anything Mitt Romney's saying nowadays. He's, he, wasn't, he wasn't a conservative when he came in. He's not a conservative now, and he's, he's fallen off the reservation. So the, the idea that somehow this is, um, that this is p politics, guys, it's not politics anymore. You've got to let go of that. You've got to let go. By the way, I didn't mean anything towards you, Kara, when I said fell off the reservation. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I had nothing to do with the fact that you're a Navajo or anything like that. Okay. <laughs> yes. I am. You know what? I am. Ah! That's, you said that with distinction. Guys, I'm an Indian, okay? I am an Indian. See, that wasn't nice. That was... All right. But, uh, guys, this is, this is... We have stepped into a different place, and this is where the church is lagging so far behind. In fact, they're fighting against this to the point where it is destroying the church. Um, I, I don't mean that lightly. I want you to listen to what I just said. I believe that the church is in the middle of, of destruction. We are deciding whether we're going to stand up and be the church. And some churches are starting to stand up, and it's kind of pulling some more along. But really, in the long run, um, a, lot of these, a lot of these churches, a lot of these pastors, 
They've already lost it. They're no longer part of the church, and it's just a matter of collapse. Now, I don't mean physical or financial collapse. I've been in China where the above-ground church is strong. It's called the three-self church. Uh, Self-propagating, self-funding, self-promoting, or something like that. But the government approves everything that they say and do, and they're a very strong church. They have buildings, they have pastors, they have everything in China, but they do not talk about anything that has to do with Jesus or or, or freedom or forgiveness or anybody that is higher than um, the great leader. You don't do that stuff. Uh, These churches in America will stay alive. That's not what I mean. But I mean, they're they're becoming, I think they've been deciding this for a long time. I think I'm just now seeing it much more clearly. I know there's always been this, but it hasn't been as clear to me as it's been over the last four, five, six months. They're they're making their decisions and they're they're deciding whether they're going to be part of the body of Christ or part of a government official church. And those are no longer going to be able to be the same thing. We're already moving quickly away from that. Okay. So, um, all of this stuff. That, by, by the way, did you guys see? I know this is kind of a side note, but I said this back in February. I think maybe even January, right about the time all this COVID started. Um, maybe even before that. But um, I told you that uh, Kim Jong-un was already dead. And that his sister was going to, to be the supreme leader pretty soon. You guys remember me saying that six, seven months ago? Uh, Now, supposedly, Kim Jong-un is in a coma, and he's been in one for a long time, but his sister is taking up the reins and is taking over. You say, does that matter? I think it really matters, because I think North Korea plays very strongly into the future and into how China is going to do some of the things they're going to do. North Korea has always been the uh, end of the billy club for China. Then China doesn't have to get their hands dirty. You remember those times called Vietnam and called Korea? Those, that was China doing that through the Koreans, through the Vietnamese. So, yeah, all right. So with all of that, I'm still coming back to um, <clears throat> this understanding, this idea of, um, of, of how, do we, how do we truly love like Jesus wants us to love? Part of the reason, quite honestly, I'm just, just telling you up front, part of the reason that I'm processing this so much is because I'm trying to get my mind wrapped around this. Um, my personality is, is uh, very much out there with, um, I, don't, I don't believe that Christians should just let people run over them, and I think the church does that too much. Uh, it, you know, you, we're supposed to turn the other cheek, I understand that. Um, I don't know how many times we turned the other cheek. I told a guy one time, took a swing at me. I said, we're going to count that as turning the other cheek. And I said, but you missed. You don't get another one. You, you just don't. I'll turn, my cheek, I'll turn the other cheek once, but after that, I'm going to whoop you all over the place. Because I want to get to heaven, so I'm going to turn my cheek. I, I really, I'm, I'm not, I'm kind of making a joke about it, but really... So here's with everything that's going on, what do we do? How much do we stand for or take? I watched these videos where these people are sitting, you know, just sitting at a restaurant and somebody just comes up and starts screaming at them and throwing their food on the ground. And, and I'm telling you, I don't, I don't think I could sit there and take that. I, don't, I just don't think I could do that. 
And so the, the, what I'm trying to vet out and process is I know what the word says and, I'm, and I know how it says it, but I don't know exactly how the application is. So some of this that I'm unpacking for us is us unpacking and I'm listening to what you're saying and stuff too because I really do want to make sure. I just don't think that there is a mentality in scripture that says you just got to lay down and let somebody whoop all over you. I just don't think that. Um, and I definitely don't think you're, at, and I'm saying this as a man, as a husband, I definitely am not going to let somebody lay a hand on my wife. Get some kind of goofy mob come walking through and start getting up in her face. I'm going to hurt them. I don't have a problem with that. So here's the thing. But we still see where Scripture says that we're supposed to love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Not just who you disagree with, but who persecute you. Love your enemies. Scripture says this over and over, but this is actually you know, a common sense thing too. It's easy to love somebody that you like, that you hang out with, that you enjoy their company. It's easy to love somebody like that. But what about somebody that you don't like? And somebody that's causing you um, to lose your job or causing you to, they're taking something from you. Somebody asked me the other day, what if somebody tries to break into your house? Could you shoot them? Yes. I have no problem. I could shoot them over and over and over. Just because the last three or four would just feel good. And I've had people say, but you're a Christian. Right? Now, if if you disagree with this, I do not, I, I do want to hear that. I don't, I'm telling you how I'm, how I'm perceiving this. It doesn't say in Scripture, do not shoot somebody that comes in your front door or shoot somebody that comes in your front door. It doesn't say either one of those. So I, I am trying to process this. And I've had people give good arguments of why Christians shouldn't even have guns. Here's, here's the thing with this. Did you realize that... So did, does anybody know when the Assemblies of God started? I'm hearing, but I can't understand what you... 1914 would be like the first official um, general council date. That's when the assemblies got first started, right? Um, the, the, the decade before that is when Pentecost was poured out. Um, and, um, and then, um, you know, it started in uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, came down to Houston, went over to California. And then, uh, then they all convened in uh, Arkansas, and had their first convention council and started. Okay, 1914, 1915, 16 were the, like the prominent years where they were getting everything to go, who are we going to be, all these kind of things. A lot of people don't know this or, or realize this, that specifically part of the people that were been in the Assemblies of God for a long time. That was pre-World War I. You understand that, right? You know your dates. It was a pacifist movement. The Assemblies of God movement was pacifist. It was considered a sin by these people. Now, they had come out of the Civil War. They had come out of a, a bunch of the War of 1812. They had come out of a bunch of stuff. And they said it is, it is um, a sin to pick up arms against another human being. And they held strongly to that. And then something crazy happened. You know what it was? World War I. 
That's what happened. And, and these people weren't bad. They weren't like, but they would be considered like crazy liberals today. Um, but but they, they actually looked evil in the face and said, wait a second, we can't just sit by. As a Christian, you can't let evil rule. You have to do something about it. You have to, you have to say stuff. You have to do stuff. Um, that's why sometimes Christians pick on, now they're usually like the more liberal side of Christianity, like Lutherans and, and uh, Presbyterians. And, well, Presbyterians not as much. They're kind of in the middle. depends on which group. But um, there's a mentality that the military is bad. Our church is full of military. I'm ex-military. I think the military is good. Not everything the military does, just not like everything you do is good. <laughs> the same way with the police force. People say, well, that's the police force. You can't have that kind of um, corruption in the police force. You know, it's interesting that the corrupt police forces are in the same places that the liberals have been running the show forever? Have you noticed that? Where the liberals have been running the show, the police are the most corrupt. But here's another thing that, that'll just help you out. Just because somebody videos and puts a tiny little segment of a cop shooting somebody does not mean that what the, the media is saying the narrative is is actually true. Okay, you're getting a small piece of it. So, so our... Everything in the United States is corrupt, but the cops are good guys. They are truly the good guys, and they're doing good things. But our narrative today is, is turning, remember, call what is evil good and what is good evil. The rioters that are destroying, I read today over a billion dollars worth of infrastructure has been destroyed by the riots since the beginning of this. But the cops are the bad guys, and they're the good guys. As we're in a place where you call evil good and good is evil. But here's where it comes down to me personally. How am I supposed to act? How am I supposed to think? I know this stuff is wrong. I know these people are wrong. But at the end of the day, there's a soul involved in every one of these people. So what do I do with that? So that's what I've been. That's why I'm talking about all this these last few weeks. And that's why we're looking at, uh, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 13 here in a second. But I want us to start off with, in uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. <clears throat> I, I'll tell you something if you're interested in this. Um, get out, you know, you can Google this. If you've got a Bible program, it's probably a little bit easier. But um, search for uh, children in the New Testament. Just search. Children in New Testament scripture. Don't, don't go Old Testament, just stay in the New Testament. I'll tell you one thing to do is just say, uh, children in the Gospels. And how many, how many times children are mentioned in the Gospels? Which is absolutely amazing to me because children were really not even considered um, of value until they became adults. What? What is sixty-two? Good job. Some people are anal, aren't they not? <laughs> Did you also do child and little ones and things like that? I don't think so, Michael. <laughs> um, it's a lot of times. It's like around 60. 
times in the New Testament that children are mentioned. Why is that a big deal? Why does that matter? Huh? Children are important to Jesus. But let's unpack that a little bit more than just that. That's a true statement. That is obviously a true statement. But what is that starting from their societal cultural view and then bring it into our world today? Why is that a big deal that children are important to Jesus? Innocent, they're unbiased. They have, uh, Jesus said, faith is a child. We're going to look at some of these. That, that's, where I'm, that's where I'm fishing for a little bit here. All of these things are statements about the children themselves, but as a collective group in society, they were not important. They were marginalized. Children, I, guys, I did, I did this in, in the mid-90s. I went to Africa, and the main reason I went to Africa was to, to uh, uh, teach and preach about youth ministry. I was a youth pastor, and to teach and preach about youth ministry. Because this was a foreign concept all over the continent of Africa. The idea of having any kind of children's focus or youth focus was a foreign thing. You just didn't do that stuff. And so you go to, you go to some African village or even a city where there's church order, and all the adults are sitting inside having services, and the kids are outside. It doesn't matter what they're doing with it. They're not important. Until they start becoming an adult, until they get to that you know, 16, 15, 16, and they start approaching this idea of, of adulthood, they were not important. They were irrelevant. And Jesus, right around 60, 61, maybe 62 times, Jesus mentions children. Why? Because they are important to him. But that statement alone, it's not, this would be the same thing as, um, there's two guys that I've read about quite a bit uh, over the last, say, two or three years. Uh, from the time of uh, from the time of slavery in America to where slavery was being abolished, uh, the abolitionists and then um, um, Abraham Lincoln, all this stuff. Two guys you should pay very close attention to: Frederick Douglass and um, his mind just escaped me. I know how to get there. Frederick Douglass and... Um, no, that was in Europe. I'm saying here in America. 62. Hold on a second. Um, I'll think of his name here in a second. But um, I think he was one of the most important people... This, is, this isn't too important to just pass by, so let me... Let me do this. Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington is another person that is, these guys were hugely uh, um, uh, important, hugely um, effective in changing society. My brain's not working right now, but... um, and there was, there was Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, there was another guy at the same time that, that I've read some of his stuff, but he really was not a good guy. He was a Marxist, and he was very liberal thinking, and he believed that the only way that this is going to happen is through violence. 
And Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass both were guys that were saying violence is not the way to make this happen. You speak love and you live love, which, by the way, is exactly the same thing Martin Luther King Jr. has talked about. You, can, you, you should Google this time and come up with a number of how many times Martin Luther King said something like, violence is not the answer. You, you can't, he, in fact, one of his famous quotes is, um, you can't return violence with violence. You can only return love with love. Violence with love, something like that. But um, it, this is the thing, is then you got the guys like Malcolm X that came along that wasn't the same mindset. He was very much more of a violence mentality kind of thing. And, uh, and, and we see where, where love truly did change the context and rule the day at the, at the, uh, t- the time of the abolition of slavery, where there were some powerful men and women of God that said, God will rescue us out of this if we love like Christ. If we live like Christ and love like Christ, it will change it. But guys, that's difficult when you're the person in the middle of this, this scenario. Think about putting yourself back in the slave days where um, some slaves were treated horribly. Horribly. Families split up, all kinds of stuff. Uh, violence, rape, there was all kinds of stuff that was involved with, with slavery. Some good, but most bad. Um, some people weren't treated bad is what I mean. But most were. How do you return that with love? How do you return... To a, to a slave owner that is beating your wife and children because they dropped something. You know. How do you return that with love? This is, this is my mindset for right now, for today. How do we return love when we've got the BLM, you've got the Antifa, you've got all the stupidity of COVID, you've got the media? I really like the, the press secretary right now, McIlvaney, I think is her name, something like that. Um... That woman's powerful because she just looks him in the face and says, you are lying. The media will just say anything and do anything now. They, they, they used to at least pretend like. I saw a little thing a guy put together 20 years ago about Walter Cronkite, and he was talking about how everybody said, why can't we go back to news the way, the way Walter Cronkite said? He didn't have any uh, bias. He didn't have any. Walter Cronkite had lots of bias. You can watch videos of it, and that dude was, he would, he would say something about conservatives and go. Now, back in the 60s, that was enough, right? But uh, there's always been this bias, but it's kind of been hidden like we're really journalists. Nowadays, it doesn't matter. They can lie, blatantly lie, look you right in the face and lie. Everybody knows they're lying, but it does not matter. Because, guys, we have changed. Our country has changed. And the, and the Christians and the conservatives are not keeping up. Our country has changed and left us. They're, they've moved on. Okay, so here's, here's part of the deal with this. So how do, we, how do we respond like we're supposed to? How do we respond in love? How do we? One day, this is uh, Matthew 19, verse 13. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. Now, did this, did this make the uh, disciples um, abnormal or countercultural at that time? No. This was the expected thing to do. Jesus was an important, respected teacher. Um, you don't let the kids come bother him. I've had people do that with me over the years. 
your kid to come run up and say something and do something like, oh, I'm sorry, my kid talked to you. Like, I, and I, sometimes I want to say, I'd rather talk to your child than you. <laughs> I really do like to talk to kids. Um, it's up to about you. When they start getting to high school, it starts changing a little bit. But uh, talk to kids because you can get a lot of stuff about mom and dad out of kids. Ask Linda, I do this all the time. You get like an eight-year-old and you say, so which, which of your parents um, hit you the hardest? Yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time I remember the floors as I was doing that with them all. Jojo, he'd tell you anything. I mean, anything. You tell them, which, which, which parent is the meanest? That's the way to ask it. Which parent is the meanest? Oh, my mom is the meanest. He will just tell you. What do you mean by that? Does she yell a lot more than dad does? Oh, she yells a lot. <laughs> no, it's totally um, but this comes back to what we were talking about, the, the naiveness of, the, um, of children, the, the innocence, the simpleness of children. Guys, that's, Jesus says this. To Jesus, that is better than the way we act most of the time. You understand how important that statement is? And we think that, that we're, we're getting it all together and we're wise and mature and we're growing up and doing all this other stuff. And Jesus says, if you, can, if you can be more like children, you're going to get closer to where I'm trying to get you to. Okay? Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. Now let's, let's unpack that a little bit. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. He is, seven, he is saying, if you want to be part of the kingdom of heaven, you need to be more like these kids. The kingdom of heaven belongs to this mentality, to this context. So what is that context? What is, it, what is the context of a child in what Jesus is asking here? <clears throat> Say that again. Unquestioning acceptance, that's, that's a very good way to say that, I think. Um, you just accept. When I was little, fathers, you know this, especially with boys, but girls, it lasts much longer, by the way. But uh, when the kids are little, you, you're Superman. You can do anything. You can literally do anything. We were sitting one time outside a building, out a three-story building, Looking, and Jonathan and Isaac were like three, four, somewhere around in there. And, uh, and Jonathan said, looked up, and he was looking, and he said, Dad, can you jump up there on top of that building? It's like a three-story building. I was like, yeah, probably. <laughs> we'll do it, Dad. I, I got my good shoes on. Uh, I mean, that stuff, that my kids would ask things like that all the time. Can you do this? Yeah. One of the boys, I don't remember which one, asked me if I could pick the car up one time. Something rolled under there. He's like, Dad, pick the car up. I'm going to go under and get that. And, you know, I still, I still got my good shoes on. So. But that, that's, that's, by the way, this is my first ever pair of blue suede shoes. Don't step on them. Why is this funny, Christine? I do look like Elvis. I sing like Elvis. <laughs> um, um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Uh, th- th- this idea that God wants us to say to, to God and about God, but not just say it out of our mouth, guys. 
but believe it in our heart, God, you can do anything. But what happens over years is we start convincing ourselves he cannot. Why? Why do we convince ourselves God can't do things? Well, let me, let, me, let me start with what you're saying there, Daniel. You ask Jesus something, he says no. How do you know he says no? Huh? Okay. Again, hold your thought, because I'm going to pick on that one too. <laughs> I'm not picking on him. I just want you guys to think about some, some things, okay? Daniel, how do you know Jesus has already told you no about something? But why do you assume he has? This is not a trick question. I'm not trying to trap you. Why is it human nature? If you don't get it, that's the reason. If you don't get it, then he must have said no. Right? Okay, hold on to that one, Mike, because I'm pick on that one too. So, Brian, what did you say? Okay, we see it through our timeline. Now, I'm not disagreeing with either one of these, okay? Sometimes Jesus does say no. And there are scriptural reasons why he says no. Okay? But we make the assumption, I believe, many times that he says no when he doesn't. But it, it hasn't happened, so therefore it's no. Or it hasn't happened yet, so therefore it's no. But now let's unpack the yet part. How do, do we know for sure because it not happened yet that God is or is not going to do it? We don't know. They've already started. They're not going to do it. Or, and here's where we don't ever really get to, this is the difficult part for us to get to, is maybe the problem isn't God, the delay isn't God, the process isn't God. His answer was yes before you ever said it. Okay? So, Mike, what did you say? Right. So, so then our, another possible answer is, because we haven't seen it, God did it in the spiritual realm, but we haven't seen it in the physical realm yet. Which I'm not, that's actually true too. I'm not disagreeing with that. Except that I think all of these are potential answers for something that is actually not being answered by those three things. Yeah, and we can unpack that a lot more. Maybe you're the problem. Right. Linda?
And, and there's, lots of, there's lots of reasons why we beat around the bush. What are some of those? Yes, sir. That's one of the biggest ones right there. We're scared of being either personally embarrassed, if nobody else ever hears it, or embarrassed in front of other people if they hear it. We're, we're going to get to that too. Mike? That's a big one. You don't deserve it. You don't feel you're worthy. Any time, almost any time we ever have like a group prayer or anything like that, and people are going and giving their needs and we're praying and going around the circle kind of thinking, somebody will say in the, in the mix, guys, girls, mixed, it doesn't matter, somebody will say, well, my need's not as big as so-and-so's, but this is what I need. So what we've done is we say, well, you know, that person found out they had cancer. That's a real need. Um, I lost my uh, tiddlywinks. That's not a real big need. So we don't pray for ours, or we feel guilty even for saying it out loud. Except then, if you have a need, it's a need. It, it, there's no, it's, not like, it's not like God's rating them and putting a scoring system, and then he'll get to them at the scoring system. It's not, it's not how it works. But we tell ourselves that kind of stuff. Yes, sir. Yes, that's, that's, that's very solid truth. The, cancer is not bigger than a, a hangnail to Jesus. It is to us. Remember when I do a frog, and I haven't done a frog in the rock series in a long time. I need to do one. But the idea of the frog asking somebody to move the rock off them, it's, it's a miracle to the frog, but it's not a miracle to you to lift a rock off of a frog. But for the frog, it's a miracle. God... People say God's in the miracle working business. Sure, except he doesn't see them as miracles. That's equivalent of you moving a rock off frog. It's not a miracle. But for us, it's amazingly supernatural. For God, it's nothing. It is literally nothing for him to do stuff. And I believe that God wants to do way, way more in every one of our lives. Way more than what we're seeing him do. But here is part of the problem. We don't look at it like children. We've had years of discouragement. We've had years of defeat. We've had years of no answers, some answers, what we think are no answers. I mean, we can come up with all kinds of stuff. When, when I talk about the healing at the journey, most of the time I do it at the journey, every now and then I'll do it at this. I always, I always get the discussion started with this. There are some amazing things that we have created in Christianity that are not biblical. None of them are biblical. When it comes, I'm just going to talk about healing. Not prayer, answer a prayer in, in a general sense. That, that would, that's a much, much bigger subject. But just healing in a general sense. What are some of the things that we have created called experiential theology? In other words, it comes from our experience. It comes from my 50 years of life, not the Bible. What are some things about healing that we have created that are not biblically true? Yeah, you need somebody specific to pray for you, specific pastor, that special evangelist, something like that. It's not, it's not biblical. It does say call the elders of the church, but that's not the only way that God heals. He can heal just for you, praying for yourself. Okay, what's another thing that we've created? 
It's, it's about to get ugly in here, by the way. Okay, that's something he doesn't do now. Um, it's not, so, so in other words, we use terms like normal and normative. It's not normative now, um, but he might if he just got a big old hankering to heal somebody, he might do it, but it's not normative. Guys, that's Buddhism. That is not Christianity. That's Buddhism. Buddhism. All right, what else? Um, well, prayer, prayer cloth did happen in the New Testament. Paul did do a prayer cloth in the New Testament, but it's not what the evangelists do on TV today. Yeah. What are some simple things, guys? There's some very simple things. Why doesn't people get healed today? You're not spiritual. Let me put a lot of things in that category. Um, you're not posturing the right way or whatever. Aiden? Yeah, we do this for a lot of things in our life, not just health, but we also do it for our substance and everything else. We don't depend on God day to day. We have other things that we can depend on. We get a paycheck from our company, so therefore we're not praying for the crops. Crops are going to be in Walmart whether we pray or not. We're going to get a paycheck whether we pray or not. You know, that kind of thinking. You can go to the hospital. You don't have to pray. You have all these other things provided for you. Wow, that was not very nice, Marcus. What do you mean by that? <laughs> they do. Some people really enjoy the sickness and the... I had a lady years ago that said, I, I came to pray for her, and I said, well, let's just pray that God will completely heal you. She said, well, then how am I going to live? I get welfare. Uh, she didn't. I went to her. I didn't know she didn't want to be prayed for. I've met those people. I've met that with emotional, spiritual, mental, all kinds of stuff, where people, their baggage defines them, and they cannot let go of their baggage because they will not be who they are if they don't have this baggage. People will not feel sorry for them, all these other kind of things. And so they, they don't want to be healed. I know people that literally don't want to, but they'll ask for prayer all the time. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's different. That's not what Marcus is talking about. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's a total different mentality of what Aiden was saying, too. What, what, Aiden, what Aiden is saying is there, there's a different mindset of a dependency upon medical science rather than your dependency upon the Lord. God, you cannot have medical science without Jesus. Jesus gave us the knowledge and the wisdom and ability to be able to do that. But, it, but we've, we've turned it into such a societal thing that we don't need healing because we have all the medicine. Here's a, here's a big one. This kind of comes back to what Daniel was saying, but I'm going to focus in just a little bit on the healing side of it. Um, one of the things that I've heard for years and years is you ask for healing and Jesus says no. Here's the problem with that. It's not biblical. Here's what I mean by that. This is, this is the easiest way to do this. 
Just give me one example that Jesus ever told somebody no. Just show me one. If you show me one, that's enough. We'll we'll say theologically, Jesus sometimes says no. But he never said no in the New Testament. He never said no to somebody. Did Jesus heal everybody he came to? No. Most he did, like 99% he did. Because it will say, this says it four or five times in the New Testament. Jesus healed everybody he came to. He healed everybody in this region. He healed everybody he came to. And then there's this one place where it says, Jesus didn't heal everybody in his hometown. And why did he not heal them there? They couldn't see him as anything but the carpenter's son. They couldn't see him anything except Joseph and Mary's son. Guys, I really believe this is the main reason why uh, specifically in American culture, we built such a cultural context that we don't see healing in America today. We cannot see Jesus as the healer. We just really can't. It's about an 80-20 or an 85-15. We pray and about 15%, I'm being very generous with that. 15% of our mind, our spirit really believes that he can and he's going to. But the other 85, we just know he's probably not. He's just probably not. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, no, there's some legitimacy there, too. I, I believe very strongly that. Um, we've come to a place in our country now where it's simple things like just taking care of your body. We do it in weird ways. We don't do it the right way. We do it in weird ways, you know. Um, but, but with that, that notwithstanding, sometimes that alone doesn't do it. The diet alone doesn't do it. You're still sick. You still have some kind of disease. You still have some kind of curable thing. Although I do think that the more we're starting to understand non-traditional medicines are becoming much more popular because people are realizing the value of them. You know, they worked for hundreds and hundreds of years, and then we got chemically-based medicines, and that's all we do now in America. But other countries still do other things. Okay? Okay, so that's... So I believe God healed me. I, I count that as God healing me. It, it, the, it literally took my tumor. Yeah, that is, a, that is the, what I would consider, this is the way God does it naturally. He's designed our bodies to heal. I don't think that's the same thing as when God, Jesus said, or Paul said, uh, James said, call the elders of the church, lay hands on you, pray the prayer of faith, and you'll be healed or, or saved. Yeah, I, yeah, this, I'm not concerned with the doctor things. I'm not picking on what you're saying. I want you to process this with me a little bit. So here's another thing. Let's take what, let's take what Michael said. 
So when people came to Jesus to be healed, when did he say, obviously he heals naturally, obviously he does this, when did Jesus say, now this one will kind of run its own course, and you'll be healed over a few months? I'm not saying that. That's not the way he does it. He's designed our bodies to heal. But what I'm saying is what Scripture says is by his stripes you are healed. That is a supernatural instant thing. James 5 is a supernatural instant thing. Okay? One of the reasons that we say is because that we say Jesus says no. Except he never said that to anybody. Now here's the thing. I could say that all day long, but some of you will still believe. You'll go home tonight and believe. But yeah, but Jesus does say no. Where are you getting that from? Okay. You got it from experience. Did Jesus say, no, I'm not going to heal your brother? Do you understand what I'm saying? His experience, his brother-in-law died. There's no doubt about that. But can you theologically say that is who Jesus is? Guys, I told you a little bit ago, we're about to get messy in here. We're about to pick on some things. Let me use this one to springboard into something else. This is, this is one of my biggest pet peeves about healing. Jesus healed them by taking them home. He gave them their ultimate healing. Does the Bible say that anywhere? Is, is going to heaven your ultimate healing? Not according to the term healing. It's your ultimate you didn't get healed. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm messing with this. You're going to have to follow me with this. Guys, I'm trying to shake your mind up a little bit. Dying is not healing. It's dying. It's not healing. It's dying. Did Jesus give you your ultimate healing? No, he gave your ultimate not healing. Death is eternal. You are much, much better. But that's not healing. You didn't get healed. You were given perfection. That is not the same thing. What we've done, why do we do that though? Here's the thing I'm trying to get to. Why do we say dying was their ultimate healing? It makes us feel better because they died. They didn't get healed. If they would have got healed, they wouldn't have died. They didn't get healed, therefore they died. Yes, death, doesn't, death isn't the sting. Death is not the negative. It's, it's now transferring into the relationship with Christ in real time, not in some abstract physical way. You were walking with Jesus. That's not healing. That's eternity. That's the best. That's the everything. But it's not healing. It's not healing. It's not like, th this is how I can prove it. Okay? You break your leg. Your leg's broken, cracked, open like this. When you get to heaven, is your leg healed, but you can see the scar, the break? Because that would be a healing. Your ultimate healing for your leg would have happened when you died. But that's not what's going to happen. You're given a new leg. You're given a new body. You're given everything. That's not healing. You're talking about the physical. Yes. 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 
Healing, healing is not a concept in eternity. You don't need it. You're perfected. So you didn't get your ultimate healing. Now, I know it makes us feel better because, you, you know, my mom just passed away. She didn't get her ultimate healing. She stepped into the presence of Jesus. That's way better than healing. But there's no way that I can rationalize it. Well, I might could try, but, but trying to rationalize well, she got her ultimate healing. Guys, that is people that have grown up believing in healing, not accepting the reality that they didn't get healed. Those are two different things. Dying is not Jesus saying no. How do we know that's Jesus saying no? Just because we asked? If we ask and Jesus doesn't, does that mean the answer was no? Could we come up with any other scenarios of what that could actually be? Is there any other reasons why Jesus does not heal? See, we take the onus off of us and we put it back on Jesus. So here's one. Jesus said no. Except he never did that in the New Testament. Now one time. Jesus said, I'm going to let you deal with this for a while until it just gets naturally better. He never said that in the New Testament. It says he healed everybody that came to him. There's only one time when there was a pause. The guy that was with the blindness and he said, I see trees. I see people running around like trees. And he said, well, then come back here. Let's do this again. Because you ain't getting it. <laughs> but he never told anybody no. He never said, I'm going to let you deal with it. Here's another one. Here's a big one. He never said to anybody, I'm going to let you be sick for a while so that you can learn something valuable. Guys, we pull this stuff out of our experience, not out of the Bible. There's been a lot of people that have died. That's experience. A lot of people that died that were very sick and people were praying for them. That's experience. And our experience is real, but it's not biblical. Most of our experience is not biblical. Yes, sir. You're suffering what? There's no doubt about that. Now, there, are, there is a difference what I'm saying between Psalms and what Jesus does in the Gospels. I'm saying specifically what Jesus is saying, okay? Because Jesus is the healer. The Old Testament, you're praying for healing, but Jesus is not uh, personified in Jehovah the healer, although we do see that. I mean, here's the thing. Can Jesus teach you something through sickness? Yes. But is, is that what Jesus' goal with it was? See, guys, what we do is we come right up to something and then we make a theological statement that's not biblical based upon where we've come to. Okay? I have learned things through sickness. That's a true statement. Therefore, Jesus didn't heal me so that I could learn something. That's your experience. That is not biblical experience. Because Jesus never says that to anybody. We can get all of our understanding of how Jesus is going to heal and what he's doing by just looking at what he did and what he didn't do and what he said and what he didn't say. What is the one of the reasons why he says we don't get healed? Lack of faith. 
That's one of the biggest ones. Roy? Being double-minded. This, this is one of my biggest, specifically in the American church, is what I said earlier. You know, we've got about a 90-10, I don't believe, 90% and 10% I do believe. We go into it not expecting it to happen. We don't really believe it's going to happen. If somebody rolled in here in a wheelchair right now, and you started praying for that person, do you really believe down deep they're going to get out of that wheelchair? I mean, think about what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on us, guys. I'm trying to stir our hearts with this. Do you really believe that person's going to get out of that wheelchair? Would it be more surprising to you if they did or they didn't? I told you about the first time. I've, this happened to me a few different times. The first time I ever prayed for somebody in a wheelchair and they got out of the wheelchair. It freaked me out. It actually scared me. Yes. So here's the thing. I said one of the reasons that the Lord doesn't heal is because of our unbelief. Where do we get that from? We get that from Jesus. Yes, he said it. Does that mean every time somebody doesn't get healed, it's because of unbelief? What? Who didn't do what? In his hometown. Yeah. Um, so one of the reasons Jesus says people don't get healed is because of their unbelief. But there's also other examples in, in Jesus' ministry on this earth where people didn't believe, but he still did it. What I'm trying to do is break it down incrementally. One of the reasons we know for sure is because Jesus said, you don't believe. But is that always the reason? No. So what's another reason somebody might not get healed? That, okay. I don't have a problem with that at all. This is what I would ask. Just show me the scripture that backs up what you're saying. Um, you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying that these are not legitimate stories and testimonies that people have and all this other stuff. But guys, at the end of the day, we can say anything we want from our heart. That does not make it biblically true. The only thing that you can have as, as solid truth is what God's Word says. Not what you create. There's, your, there's part of the problem is as in the American church, well, this is really in every church, but we have our own culture in American church. You would be having different conversations in other countries, okay? But we have so woven this stuff in there. I can name 20 or 30 other things quickly that we've done, that not just healing, but we've done with all kinds of other things. We weave all this stuff in there, but it's not biblical. 
And we come up with a cultural Christianity that is based upon what we feel or what we think. It's not based upon Scripture. So how do you separate it? That is a great question. How do you separate it? It's, there's an answer to this. How do you separate it? Yes, sir. You go back to what the Bible says. Now, here's where it becomes tricky. The longer you've been a Christian, the more you have to fight against what you think rather than what the Bible says. Or maybe not being a Christian, but the longer you've been told about stuff. Okay? I come across people all the time. Now, this would be an easy example for us. I come across people all the time that do not believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Speaking in tongues is of Satan. Do you know it's not of Satan? Yes. We know it's not of Satan. We know it's actually the Holy Spirit and that he wants everybody doing this. But there are people that have built entire theological premises around the fact that that is not for today. It doesn't exist. Why? Because they've made up their mind about something rather than just looking at what Scripture says. And they can give you... I've, I've sat in Denver Seminary for years discussing this stuff. No, that's not true. This Scripture says it's... But, but here's the thing. But the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know what else to do with that. You see what I'm saying? Guys, we do the same thing. We, now, we do have our Pentecostal, we believe in healing version of ours. Some people like, like uh, Landon, did you say this? About, um, did you say it, Landon? Did you? Um, about some people believe it's not for today. Healing is not for today. Some people are adamant healing is not for today. But guys, now we're of the mindset that we know healing is of today, but we still have to do something. See, if you don't believe healing is for today, it's just simple. God doesn't heal. You answered all the questions. You don't need any more debate. We believe that healing is for today, but there's a problem. Not everybody gets healed. But we believe it, sort of. But not everybody gets healed. So now we need to come up with things to explain why they don't get healed. Some of these are in the Bible. Most of them are not. We just create them. Okay, yes, ma'am. First Corinthians eleven. This is one of the reasons. Here we go. This is a good one, Christine. This is one of the reasons why people don't get healed. You want me to read it? I'll read it because people on, online can hear it. Okay? This is about communion. Right? See, we don't like this scripture. Pentecostals do not like this scripture. We believe in healing, but we don't like this scripture. He says, so anyone, I'm going to go to the end. So anyone who eats or drinks, eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. This, that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some of you have died. Can't get away from that. According to that, why are we not getting healed? The, the simple answer is sin. I don't, I don't want to use the word worthy, although that is the word he uses, because we think worthy differently, like you've earned or something. But we haven't actually asked for forgiveness. So how does taking communion without asking forgiveness make you sick? Right. 
Okay, but now let's take this to the healing part. By his stripes, you are healed. The breaking of the bread is the symbol of his stripes and physical healing. I've heard many theologians say it's not about physical healing, it's about spiritual healing. No, it's not. It's, it's all four in there. I've talked about that before. Um, part of that is physical healing. So you're breaking bread and saying, God, I believe that your body that was broken on the cross is for my healing. But you're not serious and you're playing around with the Lord. You're still doing a spiritual thing that opens the spiritual gates. But you're not doing it for Jesus. You're playing around and you're, and you're, um, you're making a mockery of Jesus at that point. Because you don't really believe it. It doesn't matter to you. But you've opened the door, and it's about physical healing. Guess who's going to step through that door? Satan is going to step through that door with sickness and disease to the point where it might even kill you because you're playing around with God. You're playing around with his healing. You're playing around with his broken body. You're playing around with the reality of his truth and the sanctity of his word, and you're taking that lightly and playing around with it, but you're doing it specifically in the realm of physical healing. That's what he's saying there. And that's why you can get sick and actually die because of your own rebellion and your own sin and not taking Jesus seriously. Yes, ma'am. Okay. I just want to tell you real hard. <clears throat> my mom died of cancer and she was miserable. And I know and I know and I know that she was like on fire for the Lord. Always praying. <clears throat> you know, like she was probably one of the most loving women I've ever known. So when we like when we read that, like and you can see what the like he said, but I don't think it was about his face. I don't think it was he was Okay, so, so as we progress through this, we come up with more answers, okay? One of the reasons people don't get healed is because they're not asking. That's not the case for your mom. One of the reasons people don't get healed is because they don't really believe. According to what you're saying, that's not the case for your mom, okay? And, and by the way, I'm not analyzing or assessing any of this because I didn't know your mom. And, and here's where we're going to get to is I don't have the ability to analyze this. But I can break the things down. All the different things that we've said, though, the reason I pick on all those things is because those are our ways of trying to rationalize something, but we do it through our experience, not from the word. Okay? That is, like that is not what he said. This is, we actually, this is one of the things that I've talked about a lot. What you're talking about is the thorn in the flesh. Yes. yes. Because they use the word flesh, we assume that means your physical body. And Paul said, the thorn in my flesh, I've asked you to take it away three times, and you haven't done it. Correct? Yes. Okay. What you need to do is go to the top of that chapter and read down to that. Paul is not talking about anything physical. He's talking about these people that are attacking him, relationships, people that are, that are being mean to him. They're accusing him of things. And then he immediately says, and I've asked you to take this thorn in my flesh away, but you haven't done it. It's not physical. He's not talking about anything physical in that chapter. I've, I've seen so many ministers over the years use that as why we deal with sickness. It's your thorn in the flesh. The only reason we say that is because he said flesh. But, but in Romans 6 and 7, when Paul says flesh... He's talking about your spirit man and your flesh man. Same word. That's what he's talking about there is 
a thorn in my in who I am. This thorn is in my my gut, my soul, my spirit. It's not in this physical body. That's not what that scripture is talking about. Okay, so one of the reasons we don't get healed is because of sin. That's not, you're saying that's not not relevant to your mother. Okay. One of the reasons we don't get healed is their faith, our faith, somebody's faith, faith in a general sense. Except we also see examples where that's not the case. Okay? So, without, this is a, this is a horrible way to end this, but we have to because the time's up. Guys, I, I don't know why some people don't get healed. I don't have the answer to that. But just because we don't have the answer, let's not make up stuff. Okay? Let's not, let's not do that. It's not because Jesus said no. Why? Here's the question. Let's, let's use her mother as an example. Why would Jesus tell her mother no? Well, because his ways are higher than ours. No, that applies to why you don't know. That does not apply to why you say the answer is no. Until Jesus tells somebody no, and you see it in Scripture, don't include that. Until Jesus says, I'm going to... I'm going to kill you, and that's the only way I'm going to heal you. Don't include that. Just say, I don't know why they didn't get healed. We prayed, we believed, we had faith. When we get to heaven, we'll know. Okay? Sometimes it's because of lack of faith. Sometimes it's because of sin. Sometimes, and in fact, in America today, I believe mostly it's because what, what uh, Roy was saying, double-mindedness. Our eyes are really closed to healing. We're not, ex- we're not expecting it. We're not believing it. We're not, we're not, we want it, but we don't really... Think of, here's another one. We don't, we don't really pray. We don't really spend time seeking God. We don't fast and pray. Then when we throw a five-minute prayer, I'm like, God said no. God might not even have caught it. Right? That doesn't work theologically, but you understand what I'm saying. Aiden? <clears throat> yes, I was not planning on spending all the time on this. This was going to be a couple sentences, and we we're going to move on. But because I actually have, I actually trying to get back to First Corinthians thirteen. But I do think this is important. I do want to unpack this more because there's a whole lot more about this. Here's what I would suggest: just read through the Gospels between now and next Wednesday. It won't take that long. They're not. It really won't. Read through the Gospels at any time. Anything came up about healing, or let's just include the supernatural. Okay, though that is a different subject because there's all kinds of things. Anytime Jesus does a miracle or anything specifically with healing, write down the details. Don't create them in your mind ahead of time. You already know the story. Don't create it. Throw that out. Just write down the words that you see there. Jesus said this. Jesus did this. They did this. Don't include your own experiential theology. Don't include your baggage. Write down what happens, and we'll discuss it next week. You'll be surprised at what Jesus will show you if you take your expectations off the table of Jesus acting the way you think he should act. Just write them down, and then we'll discuss them, and we'll unpack it a little bit more. Okay? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yes, and that's, that's solid. God, I just trust you. Now, be careful with this. And here's another one that I didn't address, and we'll address this next week. It's not God's will that you be healed. That is extremely not biblical. Okay, that's very not biblical. But to say, God, I don't know what you're doing, so I just trust your will, that's a different mentality. Okay. So there's a chapel today. I had a 
Yeah, we'll unpack that next week. He's wrong. Yeah, we don't have time to do that right now. We'll do it next week. <clears throat> Same thing. We're already late. We're six minutes late. I'll pray. You guys are so legalistic. Jesus, thank you for this evening. Lord, I, I do pray that you reveal yourself to us and you reveal your word to us. And God, any misconceptions we have, just attack those. Tear them down so we can recreate from that ground what your word is and what your truth is. Lord, we want you and we want your truth, not ours. So God, d dissolve our ideas and put your word back in its place. And help us to see that. Help us to reconcile it and recognize it and all these things. And God, we trust you with all this. And God, continue to touch our country. In Jesus' name, amen.